The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It does not constitute legal or other professional advice. No one connected with this podcast can be responsible for your use of the information discussed. The views expressed are those of the podcaster and do not represent the opinions of any other person or entity. These views are subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Welcome to Leap, Legal Issues in Policing, a podcast blending the demands of the book with the rulings from the bench through the lens of the bag. Police officers with a solid understanding of the law and their legal powers are more confident, competent, and effective. Each and every episode will examine a legal issue in policing by reviewing current Canadian criminal case law from coast to coast to coast. Be prepared to uncover a legal lesson that will improve your decision making. Now let's leap in. Hello everyone, my name is Mike Novakowski, your podcast host, and you are listening to Leap, Legal Issues in Policing. Thank you for taking the time out to join me today. If you are interested in learning more about the law on arrest and search, there is a seminar I will be presenting at on November 30th, 2022 in New Westminster, BC. The menu will include examining the common law authority to search as an incident to arrest. This power is an established exception to the presumptive requirement obligating law enforcement officers to obtain a warrant before conducting a search. Once described by the Supreme Court of Canada as an extraordinary power, the search incident to arrest doctrine is not unbridled. It has limits which must be respected. In some cases, courts have modified the framework for this type of search to account for particularly compelling privacy interests, such as strip searches, cell phone searches, penile swabs, and dwelling houses. If you use this power, but your search falls outside its proper scope, it will no longer be lawful. Remember, all warrantless searches are presumptively unreasonable and any evidence seized will be subject to an admissibility analysis. The truth is, officers and even judges have misunderstood and misapplied this doctrine. If you want to know more about this upcoming seminar, send me an email at legalissuesinpolicing at gmail.com. That's legalissuesinpolicing at gmail.com. Now on with today's episode. In this episode, we will examine a search incident to arrest case where the arrest was based on an outstanding arrest warrant and the search extended to the vehicle in which the person was driving. The case is cited as R.V. Francis, 2022, ONCA, 729, and a link is found in the episode notes. This is different than most cases involving the common law search incident to arrest power, because the arrest was triggered by an arrest warrant, as opposed to a fresh crime in which an officer was making a warrantless arrest. So let's set up this case by understanding the background facts. Some of these facts I obtained from other cases related to this matter to help amplify what is reported in the appeal court decision. The accused, Ricardo Francis, was suspected of being involved in an exchange of gunfire with another man. Neither of the combatants were hit by gunfire, but another man at the scene was wounded by a shot and driven to the hospital. A warrant in the first instance to arrest Francis was sought and issued on charges that included attempted murder and use of a firearm. Ten days after the shooting, a Toronto police officer saw a vehicle registered to Francis and pulled it over. Francis was alone. The officer approached the vehicle with his gun drawn and yelled commands at Francis. Francis put his hands out the window and showed they were empty. He followed further commands of the officer and exited the vehicle. Francis was handcuffed, searched, and arrested for attempted murder. A backup officer arrived on scene after the arrest. He was instructed by the arresting officer to remain on scene and search the vehicle incident to arrest. Francis was transported from the scene of the arrest back to the police station while the backup officer searched the car. He leaned into the vehicle and checked the entire front of the interior, including the consoles and glove compartment. Then, on the floor behind the driver's seat, he saw a drawstring bag. He opened the bag and saw two bags of white powder and a satchel. 
He opened the satchel and saw the butt of a handgun. He stopped his search and contacted the arresting officer to update him on what he had discovered and to seek further direction. The arresting officer contacted the detectives investigating the shooting and a plan was made to stop the search, seal the vehicle, and apply for a search warrant. While at the police station, Francis was strip-searched. The reason for the strip-search was because of the nature of the charges and the items that had been observed in his vehicle and because he was being held for a bail hearing. The search was conducted in the presence of two male officers with the door closed. Francis was never completely unclothed and he was never touched during the process. Francis had been instructed to remove outer layers of clothes one at a time by himself. As each item was removed, it was searched by the officers and then returned to Francis to put back on. Inner and outer layers of clothing were removed and put back on before proceeding to the bottom half of his body. As the officer searched Francis's pants, Francis said, I've got more stuff, and pointed to his underwear. When Francis removed his underwear, a bag containing heroin mixed with fentanyl was seen, and he was arrested for possessing it. Two telewarrants were subsequently obtained to search the vehicle, one under the criminal code and the other under the CDSA. When these warrants were executed, a loaded handgun, ammunition, and quantities of drugs later determined to be cocaine, heroin, and fentanyl were recovered from the vehicle. The charges against Francis related to the shooting were ultimately withdrawn by the Crown, but the charges related to his arrest, including possessing a loaded handgun and possessing heroin, cocaine, and fentanyl for the purpose of trafficking, went to trial. As you can imagine, Francis wanted the firearm, ammunition, and drugs that were seized by police excluded as evidence. In order to do this, he had to prove that the police breached his charter rights under Section 8, the right to be secure against unreasonable search or seizure. But remember, this search started out as a warrantless one, purportedly conducted incidental to Francis's arrest on the outstanding warrant. Since it was warrantless, the Crown bore the burden of proving it was nonetheless reasonable. This burden can be discharged by proving the search was reasonably conducted pursuant to a reasonable law. The law the police relied upon was search incident to arrest. So although the Crown bears the burden, the reality is that it is the police officers in the witness box who have to justify the search. At Francis's trial in the Ontario Superior Court of Justice, the arresting officer testified that he believed that a search incident to arrest would relate to anything that Francis could have access to from the driver's seat, possibly anything related to the crime for which he was arrested. The arresting officer agreed there was no urgency to the initial search of the vehicle. Francis had been removed from it, was handcuffed, and there was time to seal and tow the vehicle while a search warrant was applied for. However, the backup officer testified to something different. He said he attended the scene to impound the vehicle as it could not remain on the street and he undertook an inventory search to document any items in the vehicle. He did not testify that he was instructed to search the car as an incident to arrest. Now, the trial judge found the search of the car was valid as an incident to a lawful arrest. Since the arresting officer could have searched the vehicle himself, the backup officer was merely acting as his agent in conducting the search when what happened to be drugs and a firearm were first observed. Here's what the trial judge said, quote, The undisputed and specific legal authority to stop and arrest the accused and the fact he was in the vehicle at the time clearly links the search as truly incidental to the arrest. Based on a relatively fresh arrest warrant for attempted murder involving a firearm, it was both reasonable and proper for the police to search the interior of the vehicle and its contents to discover and preserve potential evidence, end quote. The trial judge also found, in the alternative, that the search of the vehicle and its contents was also lawful as an inventory search because the contents of the vehicle had become the responsibility of the police. Finally, 
The strip search too was justified both as incident to arrest and related to safety issues in a custodial setting. The trial judge noted that the strip search was authorized by a senior officer and was carried out based on the particular circumstances of the arrest. Police had observed items behind the driver's seat of Francis's vehicle and he was to be held for a bail hearing. It was reasonable and proper to ensure that Francis did not have any contraband or weapons on him that may not have been detected or observed in the course of the initial pat-down search at the time of arrest, and the search was conducted in a dignified and respectful manner. Francis was convicted of possessing a loaded firearm and two counts of possessing drugs for the purpose of trafficking. He was sentenced to seven years in prison, less credit for pretrial custody. This resulted in 35 months left to serve. As one might expect, Francis appealed both his conviction and sentence to the Ontario Court of Appeal. As part of his conviction appeal, he argued that the search of his vehicle and his strip search were both unlawful because they were not justified as an incident to lawful arrest. I'll tell you right now that he lost both arguments. By knowing the outcome now, it will better help you follow the facts and the line of reasoning on how the Court of Appeal applied the law. So let's examine each search in turn, starting with the roadside vehicle search. Briefly stated, There are three prerequisites to the common law power of search incident to arrest. Number one, a lawful arrest. If the arrest is later found to be unlawful, the search will be unreasonable. Number two, the search must be truly incidental to arrest. This involves both a subjective and an objective component. Subjectively, you must have one of the legitimate purposes in mind when conducting the search. These legitimate purposes to search are one, safety that being to ensure the safety of the police, the public, and even the arrestee. And two, evidence, that being to protect evidence from being destroyed by the arrestee or others and to discover relevant evidence related to your arrest. Objectively, your belief that one of the purposes will be served by the search must be reasonable. To be clear, you do not require independent, reasonable grounds to believe you will find a weapon or evidence. You only need some reasonable basis for doing what you did. And number three, the search must be conducted in a reasonable manner. At the appeal, Francis conceded that the arresting officer had the proper subjective belief for search incident to arrest, meaning in his own mind he had a legitimate purpose. But Francis challenged the search of the vehicle anyways because the backup officer, the officer who actually conducted the search, testified he attended the scene with the purpose of impounding the car and conducted an inventory search of it on his own initiative. Remember. He never testified he was instructed to search the car incident to arrest. This was a good try by the accused, but the Court of Appeal rejected this claim. The trial judge reasonably found the officer had lawfully arrested Francis for attempted murder, and when asked to assist, the backup officer was acting as the arresting officer's agent when he searched the car. And since the backup officer was acting as an agent, it was the arresting officer's mindset that mattered which Francis had already conceded met the subjective test. Therefore, the search was legally valid as an incident to arrest. Now, I do want to caution you. This decision should not be construed as allowing the search of a vehicle anytime you arrest one of its occupants on an outstanding warrant. Remember, this warrant was described as fresh, and it was issued in the first instance. It was not an arrest warrant for failing to attend court on some other offense like theft that occurred months or perhaps even years earlier. If an outstanding arrest warrant pertains solely to a failure to appear before a court, the person is not being arrested for the offense of theft per se. In the Francis case, the arrest was pursuant to a warrant, but it was a warrant in the first instance for the offense of attempted murder that had been recently committed only some 10 days earlier. 
Remember, the search incident to arrest doctrine does not require reasonable grounds to believe you are going to find evidence related to the offense of arrest, in this case the attempted murder. It just must be reasonable to look. But there is no automatic right to search a vehicle incident to arrest. Whether such a search is lawful will depend on whether there is a valid purpose for the search, and the scope of the search will depend on a number of factors, including the basis for the arrest, the location of the car in relation to the place of arrest, and other relevant circumstances. Let's contrast this case with another Ontario Court of Appeal case indexed as RV Santana, 2020, ONCA 365. Santana was under investigation by a task force for his connection to large-scale drug trafficking. While surveilling him, the task force asked the local police to stop the vehicle he was in. Santana was wanted on two outstanding warrants, including one province-wide for driving while under suspension and he was in breach of his bail conditions by being in Thunder Bay and out past his 10 p.m. curfew. The officers also advised the local police that the taillights on the vehicle were not working. The vehicle was stopped and Santana, a passenger in the vehicle, was handcuffed, arrested on the outstanding drive while suspended warrant, patted down, and placed in the backseat of a police cruiser. The female driver was dealt with and there were no grounds to hold her or the vehicle. An officer looked into the vehicle, removed the jacket he thought belonged to Santana, and searched his pockets for weapons or other objects relevant to police safety. He found a Ziploc bag containing 495 pills, which appeared to be Percocet, but were later identified as fentanyl. Santana and the driver were then arrested on a charge of trafficking in narcotics. A further search of the vehicle as an incident to the arrest on the charge of trafficking resulted in the discovery of two cell phones, one having visible text messages with communications consistent with language used in drug trafficking. At Santana's trial, the officer testified Santana's arrest had nothing to do with any suspected drug activity and he had no reason connected to drug activity to either stop the vehicle or arrest Santana. A judge of the Ontario Superior Court of Justice found the visual examination of the vehicle's interior, the seizure of the jacket from it, and the search of the jacket before it was placed in the police cruiser were all justified as a search and seizure incident to Santana's arrest on the outstanding warrant for the purposes of officer safety and the discovery of evidence. But not so fast, said the Ontario Court of Appeal. A three-member panel had a different view. It found the searches were not incidental to Santana's arrest. Santana, quote, was arrested because there was a province-wide warrant for his arrest for driving while under suspension. Any search said to be justified as a search for evidence had to be evidence in respect of his arrest on the outstanding warrant, and not evidence connecting him to other possible offenses such as drug trafficking, end quote. The officer in Santana never suggested he was searching for evidence that would confirm either the existence of the outstanding warrant or the identification of Santana as the person named in the warrant. Evidence gathering provided no justification for the visual search of the vehicle, the seizure of the jacket, or the search of it. The officer was not looking for evidence related to the reason for the arrest, and he had no reason to believe any officer or member of the public was in danger from anything in the vehicle. Remember, Santana was in handcuffs in the back of a police cruiser, and he was not going to be released such that he would be allowed to return to his vehicle. And an inventory search would not have been lawful because the police had no intention of taking control of the vehicle when it was searched. So let's get back to the Francis case. Even though it was not necessary to do so, the Court of Appeal addressed the inventory rationale for the search anyways. In my opinion, I think they were sending a message to the police, a message the police should heed. Recall, the trial judge also found the search valid as a lawful inventory search, but the Court of Appeal did not see it this way. 
Unlike other cases holding inventory searches lawful, in this case there was no statutory authority for the police to impound the vehicle. The Court of Appeal was unwilling to extend an inventory search of a vehicle without the requisite statutory authority. If you want to learn more about inventory searches, check out episode 3 of the podcast. Now what about the strip search? Francis argued it was not necessary because he had already been patted down and there were no reasonable and probable grounds that it was necessary in the circumstances. Instead, he tried to convince the Court of Appeal the strip search was ordered as a matter of routine practice for individuals charged with violent offenses. But his argument failed for the following reasons. Number one, his arrest was lawful. Number two, the strip search was conducted for the purposes of discovering weapons or evidence related to the arrest. Number three, the police had reasonable and probable grounds to conduct the strip search at the police station. The police had discovered a significant quantity of drugs and a loaded handgun in his car, which created a lawful basis for the police to search him for weapons or evidence. Number four, the strip search was carried out in a reasonable manner. Overall, the police acted in accordance with the guidelines set out for strip searches by the Supreme Court of Canada in R.V. Golden. The police had Francis remove his own clothes one layer at a time. And at no point during the search did the police make physical contact with him. The strip search was also justified as a lawful custodial strip search. As the Court of Appeal put it, quote, A custodial strip search is animated by concerns related to the safety and well-being of the prison population. Where individuals are entering into a prison environment, there is a greater need to ensure that they are not concealing weapons or illegal drugs on their person prior to their entry. This risk can arise from any prisoner, regardless of why they were arrested. Hence, unlike strip searches incident to arrest, custodial searches are not limited by the purpose of the arrest. End quote. Now, this is different than someone who is simply being held in police lockup overnight and then is to be released. Given the nature of the charges, it was clear Francis would be held in custody until his show-cause hearing. Plus, the police had already discovered a gun in the vehicle. In light of this, it would be dangerous to allow Francis to enter the prison population without a search of his person. And when Francis said he had more stuff while the strip search was underway, the need for a custodial search was further justified because the police needed to ensure the more stuff was not another weapon. So what was the end result of all of this? Well, Francis's conviction appeal was dismissed, but his sentence was reduced. The Court of Appeal saw fit to vacate the seven-year sentence imposed by the trial judge and substituted a sentence of five years custody, less time served. If you think this podcast would interest others, please share it. And if you have a topic you would like discussed in a future episode, you can email me at legalissuesinpolicing at gmail.com. That's legalissuesinpolicing at gmail.com. Or maybe you feel like providing me with some feedback. Either way, I would love to hear from you. Remember, be careful what you practice. You might get good at it.